Welcome to Regenerative Farmers of America podcast. Well, I am so excited to have you here today. And if you just want to kind of jump in, tell us a little bit about your farm, what you do, and how you got started in such a very interesting niche. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm Kevin Cunningham, um, uh, the uh, one of the farmers here at uh, Shake Fork Community Farm um, in Carlisle, coastal region um, of California, um, about as least like California as what most people would assume. Um, we're in the Redwood, the Redwood region. Um, I like to say we're, we're behind the Redwood curtain, um, up here, uh, in the, on the North coast. Um, and yeah, my wife, Melanie and I run, um, Shake Fork Community Farm. We do about five acres of mixed vegetables. Um, so that's, um, you know, a whole variety of different things. We have a CSA, we have a community supported agriculture project um, with five drop sites in the county. Um, and then we also do three farmers markets a week. Um, and so all of our produce is marketed locally within um, our bioregion, um, probably within, I'd say, 50, 60 miles of the farm. Um, and yeah, we, we've been doing this. This is our 13th season um, here on the farm. Um, uh, we started on leased ground. We actually started with um, doing small grains. And so I was doing a grain CSA, um, oats, barley, wheat, rye, um, buckwheat. Um, and we ran our grain CSA for about five years. And then when we moved to the farm here in Carlotta, um, the kind of the land dictated that we do something a little bit different because we just didn't have enough tillable ground to do a good rotation on the grain crops that we were growing. We isolated the five best acres of our soil. Um, that is our, our garden space. Um, and then, you know, the remainder of the kind of open 40, 45 acres that we have here is really good pasture ground. Um, but not necessarily tillable. It's not arable ground. It's kind of rocky, you know, alluvial riverbed. Um, we're right on the Van Dusen River. And so we've got um, good silt loam soils, but not, we're not super deep, rich, you know, plow ground, essentially. And so um, a lot of the things that we've, the decisions and the way we've, we've, we've changed over the years has been dictated by like what this, what is capable here on this piece of property. Um, and then, um, so basically there were two instrumental, um, books that were kind of came into my life that kind of changed the trajectory of where we were going with the farm. Um, the, the first one, um, was, um, Oxen, a Teamsters Guide by uh, Drew Conroy, and um, at at one point um, the the Borders Books up in Eureka, which is our main city, was going out of business. I don't happen to go into the big box stores, but it was going out of business, fifty percent off sale. I got this book, and this was early on, and I, I hadn't had any uh, experience working with cattle or anything like that. And so um, I got this book and it was a cheap book. And I was like, okay, cool. I'll buy it. And uh, that kind of started the idea in my head that maybe oxen could be something that we incorporate into the farm. Yeah. Um, and then the other one was a copy of Alan Savory's um, holistic resource management. 
And it was the original like 1983 edition, the big tome um, that was given to me by a friend. And so um, having these two kind of revolutionize the way that we look at our farm and our land and the, the things that we do here. Um, and so having those, those two kind of resources come into early on when, when we first bought this property, um, kind of changed the way that we start doing the, you know, the holistic management of our, of our good pasture ground. That's not the great tillable ground. And then, um, I think, you know, also in, including the, the oxen part of what we do, because we do all of our, um, garden work and a lot of our pasture moving with our oxen teams. Um, and I've been raising the oxen here on the farm for just on 12 years. It was probably the second year after we, we moved here and, uh, I didn't have any experience zero with cattle. Um, I was trained as a like straight ahead tractor based organic row crop farm. Um, I, I had great training in, and, you know, worked for a wonderful mentor here locally in Humboldt County, um, worked for Paul Gentoli for six years, had great cropping experience, zero cattle, zero grass, any of that. Um, and so, but I had the idea, maybe we'd want to do some draft, um, you know, considered draft horses for a while. Um, but like I said, I, I'd never apprenticed on a horse powered farm, didn't really know anything about horses and the oxen seemed like a decent way to get started. Um, and then when I got my oxen, I found that I just really, really like working with cattle. Um, and it started to work. We were starting to do things on our farm and uh, it's just kind of every year increased what we're doing, what we're capable of doing. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been training the oxen for about 12 years now. Awesome. I bet that was such a long experience. Like I don't know anything about cows to just high handling and like, you know, a lot of people have cows, but they're kind of lawn ornaments, right? They sit out in the field and whatever. Tell us a little bit about that going from like, I don't know anything. I've never met you before to obviously you have such a like great relationship with the cows. Now, what was that process like of getting there? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like one of, part of the reason why I started with oxen in particular is, um, is that, you know, when we first started working with um, my wife and I, Melanie, we, we had um, done, I'd had some you know, I'd always been, I guess, animal curious. And so we had, we had some goats, um, before we bought the property and we milked goats and, and I had, you know, some, some small livestock experience. And so when we first moved here, we were still milking the goats. Um, and, um, we ended up buying or actually honestly trading, um, for, to get four. And, uh, we went up to the, uh, Alexander Eco Dairy up in Crescent city excellent farmers, good friends of ours, and um, um, got four of their, their, their bull calves off the dairy. And then we brought them home and started bottle feeding them the goat's milk. So we were feeding them the, the raising them on the goat's milk. And um, it's a, it was a really great way to enter into relationship with the bovine because they're small and they're cute. And by bottle feeding them, we were really 
closely working with them. Um, and that's really honestly kind of the, the, the earliest experiences that I had working with cattle. Um, and as opposed to say jumping into like a draft horse situation where they recommend, you know, you start with an older experienced team. It's always really good to have an in-person, you know, mentor, somebody who knows more than you do to work with the horses and transition and learn. I didn't have any of that. Um, so it was fairly low risk to start with these calves. Um, and you know, they take four to five years to get to be full sized. And so by that time, like taking that time early on, um, you know, I can take those calves and I can work with them and I can train them, you know, in the end, you know, if it didn't work out, you know, we had well-behaved beef. Um, and then, but if and the thing is, is that it actually did work out <laughs> and it, and I got four to five years of training experience before I had a full grown, you know, team of oxen that I needed to, you know, do things with and control and, and work within a safe environment. Um, so, and it's kind of a funny, funny thing. One of the things that we've always done here on the farm when we first started is we started with um, a broiler, you know, like a pastured poultry broiler operation. And we were doing, you know, Salatin style chicken tractors, moving them. And um, it's always been something that we've done here on the, on the property and part of the farm. And so at the time, one of our broiler chickens was worth, you know, 20 to $30. And um, at the same time, one of those bull drop calves was worth 20 to $30. The price of beef was really low and um, that's what they were going for on the market. So we actually traded four frozen broiler chickens for four drop bull calves from that's the dairy crazy. <laughs> I like to joke, like I actually literally turned a chicken into an ox. Yeah. Um, you, you would think the conversion might be way off, but that's amazing. Yeah. I don't know if you can you do know, that it again. Took, <laughs> it took four years of almost daily work, but right. <laughs> not there to that point, you know? Yeah. So, um, that's, I mean, that's how I got started. And, and it was really those, um, early experiences working with my first team, um, that, really informed like, oh, I really like working with cattle. Um, and so we transitioned, we, 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 you know, no longer milk the goats. We, you know, we got, got the goat, the goats weren't appropriate, you know, animals for our land. We don't have a lot of brush and bramble and things that goats like to eat, but we had this nice open grassland. So, you know, sheep and then subsequently cattle were a better option for this place. And so we transitioned and, and got a milk cow and we started milking cows. And then I got a couple of beef um, animals and we started raising the, the beef animals alongside with the work that I was doing, working with the oxen and then trying to work within that um, kind of holistic management framework, teaching myself about, you know, grass and, you know, regeneration and, you know, uh, pasture management and all of these things that were, you know, completely new to me, but kind of tie into the larger picture of what this particular piece of ground was capable of doing. Yeah. 
So what livestock are on the ground now currently? So you mentioned you moved into dairy and beef and kind of what are the handful that you have on there and what uh, role are the livestock, you know, the oxen playing in assisting you with all those? Obviously they do a lot of jobs on that farm. So kind of what are the high level ones they're doing? Totally. Yeah. So right now we've got a small mixed dairy beef herd of cattle. Um, I've probably got like 30 head total that includes calves and, and all of the, and the bull and all, all the, 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 the various, um, uh, animals that we have in that group. And so, um, we're milking about three of them right now. Um, and it's mainly for our on-farm consumption, um, and our family and our crew and whatnot. So I'm, I'm milking the three, but it also, um, is part of our oxen management because, because it takes three, four, five years to develop, um, you know, a new team, I'm constantly training young oxen. Um, I don't live in a place where, you know, like on the, on, on the North, in the Northeast, there's still a very strong, like 4-H oxen, you know, culture out here on the West coast. I can't go buy a team of oxen. Right. And so I have to raise my own. And so um, I'm constantly raising them. So having the extra milk to raise calves, um, we both buy calves. And then this year is the first year that I'm actually raising some of our own calves um, as potential, um, you know, oxen um, for the future. And so I have, you know, I currently have a set of three calves that are I'm bottle raising and getting a sense for. Um, I usually take a group of like four to six calves. Um, three is the smallest group and I usually pick the best pairing out of that group. So I'll, I'll bottle raise four, you know, um, calves and then out of that group say, okay, these two are the best out of that group. Um, and then the other two kind of go into our beef program. And so, um, so we've got the, the kind of the mixed herd of, of beef and dairy. And then um, we also raise a good amount of pastured poultry. So we have two um, layer flocks. Um, we have, um, we basically start a new flock of about 300 laying hens every year and we keep them for two years. And so they're kind of on a rotational cycle. So um, we've got a younger and an older layer flock that are in kind of separate sections of the farm. And um, those um, two flocks follow behind basically the two sets of, of cattle. We have the, the, the cattle, the main cattle herd, um, the, the one-year-old flock, um, they're in the prime of their laying. So they follow behind the, the good flock or the good herd with all of the good irrigated grass. Um, and they get moved daily behind the cattle in that sense, in that area. And then the two-year-old birds get moved behind the oxen. I take the oxen out into their kind of the more dry land, non-irrigated pasture. And then they get rotated behind the oxen. So we have the, basically the, the birds following behind the, the ruminants um, kind of system on, in, in our pastures. Um, so we've got the two layer flocks. We also raise about 1500 some odd, um, broilers a year. Um, and, um, those are, we do in chicken tractors and, uh, we no longer use the Salatin style tractors, which are more of a human powered, you know, um, uh, you know, movement daily. 
Um, so we use the oxen to move a little bit of a larger tractor that's a little bit easier for collection and feeding and, and whatnot. It's kind of a hoop structure. Um, and so those get moved. We have two tractors out in the field and those get moved daily. So the oxen are integral in moving the pastured poultry um, around. So the, they move the, the, the layer coops and the feed and then the broiler chicken tractors and the feed for, for those um, poultry systems. Um, we also end up raising probably about 50 um, Thanksgiving turkeys a year. So um, they're, they're currently in the brooder. They're going to come out. Um, and so they'll, the, the oxen will also be involved in, in moving the, 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 the house and the feed and everything for the, for the, the turkey unit as well. Um, I think so people the, the don't oxen, realize how heavy those coops are when you get started. They're real good for like 20 birds at a time. But if you're raising like the mass that you're talking about, like the oxen feel like so obvious to like take on that manpower that's needed. Like you yeah. said, human power versus oxen, <laughs> a whole different ball. Yeah, it's, they, they kind of fit this really great like mid ground in, in far as power source. You know, there's the, the human, you know, like what a person can do. And then, you know, there's like what a tractor can do and, and, or even like, um, you know, like a a walk behind tiller, you know, like a BCS style walk behind two wheel tractor. And so, you know, they're kind of in like beyond that. I mean, most tractors, at least most farm tractors can probably out pull an ox, but, um, but they're in this like mid ground that is a really kind of a neat middle draft um, area, you know, like a, our, our chicken tractors, you know, they house 150 birds. They're a hoop structure. You just can't, you can't drag that along the ground, you know, by a, by a single person, but the oxen can, it's an easy pull for them to pull it forward and they can do it really slowly. You know, it's a little bit overkill to bring out the tractor and move these, um, you know, but if we wanted a large, you know, like if we were a big pastured poultry operation pulling large houses, then you would need the power of, of the, you know, the tractor because ox it would be beyond what an ox could do. Um, and we find the same thing in the garden, too. It's like, you know, there's the, you know, the hand powered, you know, garden tools. And then there's the, you know, the garden tools that do really good on like a BCS. And then there's tractor and where the oxen fall is kind of in between the BCS and the tractor, you know, um, they've got more power than your average, you know, two wheeled tractor, but not quite as much power as a, as a, as a large tractor. Um, so yeah, the, the, the oxen, basically we, we spend our morning doing all of our, our pasture moves. Um, and you know, that includes moving all of those, those pastured poultry structures. We also do our, um, our milking in a mobile milking parlor that we move behind our cattle. So that's the, that's actually probably the heaviest pull that our oxen do. Um, and, but that gets moved daily behind the cattle. And then most of our, most of our poultry gets moved daily as well. Um, and then sometimes the, uh, the ones that are behind the oxen, cause the oxen don't get moved daily, but probably two to three days at this point. And it changes throughout the season. You know, we're not on a fixed rotation schedule with the, with the cattle. We, during the winter, it slows down during the summertime, it speeds up. So we're flexing that, you know, um, flexing that regenerative muscle of 
when and how the animals move. Yeah. I, I love your idea though, of kind of like bringing their system with them. So like with the milking, like you just bring it with you, cows, like grab it behind you, the oxen will pull it, you know, it kind of eliminates that, um, you know, uh, we, we move pigs a lot. So the pigs, and then you got to go get their water or got to get their shelter. Well, the oxen have such a benefit that they bring it all with them because they're trained to do that. So that totally makes sense in this mobile environment. I think a lot of us are trying to figure out how to offset all those different weights and not do with tractors is to me, is just, that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and it, and, you know, we used to milk, you know, our, we, you know, we were small micro dairy, so we're milking three cows. Yeah. We used to bring them back to the barn and it just didn't make sense. I mean, if you're milking a herd of, you know, a hundred cows. Yeah. 20, a hundred. You know, sure. But, <laughs> but it does, you know, for a, you know, it just makes sense to pull, you know, like we just, it, we pull that around behind them and we can milk them right there in the field. It's yeah. easier on them. You know, it's more efficient time for us. Um, it's kind of a really cool way to do it. And, and the, you know, the oxen, they, they, they just, you know, and they're even like part of the, the, the reason we, um, started with moving because we used to move the back early on and we've always done the pastured poultry and we've kind of evolved over the course of the farm um, and we used to move our, our mobile chicken coops with a tractor um, but there was one time here in the middle of the winter we get a lot of seasonal winter rain um, and we had some flooding you know we had some wet ground and um, you know, there was the coop and the waters rising. If I was to drive a tractor out there, I would have gotten stuck. You know, I would have had huge wheel ruts, like it wouldn't have worked. Um, but because of the lighter impact of the oxen, I was able to go out with the oxen, walk through knee deep water, you know, to this, this, this chicken house and pull it out of harm's way. And, and that was the first time that it was like in the middle of the winter, I was like, okay, I have no idea if this is going to work. And, um, but I don't, you know, otherwise we're going to lose birds because they're in the middle of this flood. And right. so we were like, let's do it. And we went and we put hitched up and they were able to pull through, you know, the, wa the standing water and not leave an impact on the ground. I bet that um, was quite a day to figure out that first time though. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it was, it was remarkable. And that's, what's the been cool about doing with the oxen is that, and why I keep doing it is that, you know, there's been some stumbling blocks for sure, but most of the time when I try to do something crazy, it actually works out. Yeah. Um, and, and we were, you know, and, and ever since we did that, you know, we're like, well, I guess, I guess I can pull this, this mobile coop behind, you know, with the, with the oxen. And then we started moving more regularly. Um, when we started moving the chickens more regularly, we saw our feed bill went down, you know, they were eating more off the pasture than what they were, you know, than the, the, the certified organic feed that we were buying for. Them. And then we also noticed like, well, the grass is improving behind them because they're moving more frequently. You know, because I'm able instead of moving them every three, four days, maybe every week, um, I'm moving them daily. And they're like, we just have noticed as we've increased that movement, um, everything moves faster. You know, it's it seems to be like so much of the 
the regeneration of the pasture ecosystem is based upon that flow of energy, right? So you're moving that faster as you move the animals faster and it just keeps kind of snowballing and going from there. It's true. I feel like we, we all are kind of accepting that like mob grazing, intense pressure, like that seems to be like the key to regeneration and speed, you know, and it's amazing. And I love that you're figuring out how can we bring everything with us because it's not that mobile grazing is easy. It's, you know, it's very difficult. You could just throw them out in a lot and they'd be fine. But this whole movement thing is so uh, extra intense on a farmer. I feel like you have such a, a good key. Um, I'll switch over to uh, gardening, though, because there's mm -hmm. so much to talk about in that area as well. Tell me a little bit about their impact. And also, I would love to hear kind of what the things that I, I'm sure people said, why would you run oxen through your garden? Um, you know, and how did kind of the traditional sense that you were raised in and how is that working with the oxen now? And what are the differences? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the integration in the garden kind of came about you know, at the same, same kind of, you know, thing, you know, when we, like I said, when we first started, we, we started as a kind of a, a more extensive, larger scale grain farm. So I was independently putting in, you know, 15 acres of grain a year, you know, um, of mixed varieties. And so, you know, and, and I, and I got the, I was tractor based. So I bought, you know, got myself a used tractor, got myself a plow and a disc and all of the, you know, equipment that goes along with putting in, you know, that much. And I had a combine, I had all of the, the equipment set up for that. Um, and then when we moved here and we realized we just didn't have enough tillable ground, you know, there was areas that I plowed up and I just hit rocks and rocks and rocks. And I just, it was obviously not, you know, it was not going to work. The model that we were working before was not going to work here. So, so I, but I had already tooled up for that style of farming and, you know, and at that same time we were starting to like think about the oxen. And so, um, you know, when we started doing our vegetable garden, when we used our tractor based stuff in the garden to start with, um, but we just quickly realized that like the equipment that I had was a bit too big for an intensive vegetable farm. I didn't tool up for, you know, vegetable production. I tooled up for grain production. Um, and so we kind of had a choice. We could either retool, right. Reinvest, or I could try to do something different with the oxen. And I was really curious to see how that would work. Um, and, um, and it took several years and it took some changing in kind of my mindset of where the way in which I kind of thought about farming. So, you know, as a tractor farmer, I was really qu quite well trained in, you know, like dry land, non-irrigated farming here in this area, you know, which is a pretty traditional disc, plow, disc, roll, cultivate style of, of, of agriculture. Um, when I thought about switching that to draft power, I just didn't have the literal horsepower in order to do those same practices with the oxen. And so we, we kind of over the course of several years transitioned from, you know, what was pretty typical 
for growing crops in this area where you put in a big cover crop in the fall, you know, and like an oat bell bean vetch type of pea cover crop. And, and we have a mild climate. We don't winter kill here. So I can grow six feet, you know, of cover crop over the winter. And then, you, you know, you till that in, in the spring. I just, you, I just couldn't do that with the oxen. Like I don't, I, I couldn't, you know, it was like, I can take the tractor out there and I can grind that organic matter back into the soil and flip it over with a moldboard plow and reincorporate it, add some manure and plant crops with a tractor. Couldn't really do that same system. Um, you know, and so I even try, you know, I, I bought a little like walk behind, you know, single bottom plow for my oxen and it just didn't quite really fit the model. Um, so we transitioned the garden, um, into more of a permanent bed kind of, you know, no till low till style, um, type of farm. Um, and, um, so we developed tool systems that work on the permanent beds that we have laid out. Um, and what that allows us to do is to be a little bit larger than some of the, the no-till farms um, that are out there, which are usually on a, on, on a very small scale. You know, we're talking like quarter acre to tops, maybe an acre. Um, you know, some and great farmers and, and no shade on them. They're doing wonderful things. But just whole um, different camps, right? Like no-till, plain no-till just for people who are not super familiar is so intensive and so micro and you're on five acres, we're getting bigger. So just <laughs> for people in context, exactly. totally different worlds. <laughs> yeah. So we're doing five acres. We're also doing, you know, with our CSA production, we're doing things that aren't commonly done in those 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 low till systems like you know winter squash and potatoes and onions you know that are a little bit you know um take up a more of a larger footprint and so um but that's where the oxen kind of are able to do that mid mid-grade work where we can take the principles of say broad forking you know the beds and i can use you know like deep tillage with like Danish S tine cultivators to get a, a, like a deep till that's not inverting soil, but is also getting a deep tillage. But we just simply don't have the person power to broad fork every, you know, bed that we do. We still broad fork like in our greenhouse production because right. that fits that, that particular, you know, model. But in, in the, the field system, the oxen are a really great way to do those, you know, kind of the bed work that we're doing um, in, that, in that production model. So, and we're starting to incorporate cover cropping and things back in, um, you know, cause we did invest in like a BCS with a, a flail mower. And so that's always been kind of the, 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 uh, the kind of the, the, the bottleneck in production in the garden that we've done draft power. Cause I don't have the, the power to incorporate those larger amounts of like, you know, um, organic materials, you know, in as far as cover croppings and even, you know, post harvest, you know, brassica plants and stuff like that. Um, so we've done, um, you know, no-till techniques like, 
um, occultations. So we do a lot of tarping, um, you know, like using silage tarps and landscape fabric to um, do an initial, you know, um, till of getting those broke, those organic matters broken down. And then that allows me to come in with the oxen, reform beds, do a deep tillage, non-inversion of the soil. And then, um, and then we go into those permanent beds. You know, the work that we do with the oxen in the garden also sets us up to do mechanical cultivation, um, which was the first time I did it. You know, I, I took um, our, um, our cultivator and we went, took the oxen and we hooked, hitched up to the cultivator and I cultivated this uh, block of brassicas, you know, cabbages and broccolis and whatnot. And, and it took me and one other person, you know, 30 minutes to do this, this block of eight or 10 beds. And it was like bells were going off because I knew physically how much time it would have taken to hoe, you know, those beds. And we just did that entire block in 30 minutes with a mechanical cultivator. And it was just, it was just amazing. And that's where the oxen, you know, do really shine in that, like, you know, I can get them into spaces in the garden that I can't get a tractor and they can do work that is way above what human power can do. Um, And the, the labor savings efficiency is just amazing. What, what, they can do in the garden and so we do a good amount of cultivation with them as well as the as well as the uh kind of the bed formation and and um deeper tillage of that we do of the uh of the vegetable beds i love it i feel like you're in such a a special place so there's so many people who like started with their backyard they do perfect no-till and they have very small great gardens but they want to do more. And there's this breakdown of human power and hours in a day, especially like a lot of these farms are couples. One person usually works off farm, like all these different things. I feel like you're starting to switch into like, how can we scale without just investing in a whole community that has to be out doing these methods? So, you know, while some people would be like, oh, deep till that's terrible. You're clearly finding a way to prioritize like soil health and productivity. in it. And I feel like you're in a really like neat spot that needs to be there for expansion that must be a fun area (laughs) i i think it's really amazing i mean it's i see this because it is there's so much demand i mean even um you know through you know the covid you know time like the the amount of demand for the local product has just skyrocketed and it continues to exponentially grow um people are thinking about these things local you know regenerative they want to they want to see that Um, and, um, you know, as the farmers that are, you know, there, I mean, it it can be overwhelming, you know, there's the, cause you, you know, you could grow a really great garden. You could easily sell everything, you know, at least most places, I think, you know, but then how do you get, you know, all satisfy that demand. And then also, you know, sustainably increase the business to the point where you're, you know, not only feeding more people, but, you know, also becoming more of a, of a sustainable business frame where, you know, maybe both people can work on the farm. I mean, that's that we're in a very lucky position where, you know, both Melanie and I are get to work together on this farm. Um, 
and it supplies not only our income, but, you know, we have employees that we can start to support and, you know, it's our, our families and there's these, the, you know, these benefits and, um, you know, we certainly need more farmers, but I think we could also see as a, you know, regenerative farm community, more production with the farms that we're already working on. Um, and I well, feel absolutely. like because then it becomes a business, food. right? You know, it's not just farmers markets. You have to figure out how to sell above that. And when you scale, it doesn't come with less work usually. <laughs> so yeah. your your strategy of being sustainable in the business mindset, I think is perfect with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the, and the oxen fit that really, that really kind of neat middle, middle ground, you know, mm -hmm. so that we don't have to go to, you know, 50 acres of, you know, mixed vegetable production, tractor-based, lots of, you know, um, mechanization and those kinds of things, but we can stay within this small farm paradigm, but be able to produce more than what is possible for one human to, you know, to, to work on, on a, on a garden scale. So funny, so. we talk about like technology will be the advancement of producing more food. Well, no, we could actually just go back to oxen and traditional methods and they could also produce more food too. So I love that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I always talk about it. You know, I tell our crew and whatnot. I mean, you know, as we as modern people, we have such a focus on technology and things about it. Um, but, um, you know, food production is a bio every day. That's part of the fact that like we are biological beings, right? right. So, you know, um, technology is really good for addressing technological problems, you know, um, whereas, you know, when we start addressing biological problems with technological solutions, there's often a, things like, um, like working with the oxen is a biological solution to a biological problem, you know? <laughs> so it, it, it kind of the, you know, technology is great, you know, um, but it also breaks, right? Anything breaks, whether it's, you know, a shovel or an iPhone, it's gonna, at some point. <laughs> or know, a tractor in a flood, right? <laughs> exactly, you know, so like you're gonna have to deal with the fact that at some point it's going to fail, the technology is a fail. Whereas, you know, biology, has the ability to naturally renew, yeah. you know? Um, so even like within the oxen, you know, like I had um, one of my team members, he came up with a pretty bad limp about a mm, month and a half, six weeks ago. Um, it wasn't bad, but it was something that needed to be addressed. So I, I took him out of the rotation. I took another team member and, and put him into the, into the, to the yoke with the, with the other, the other team member. And I just gave him some rest time and he healed, right? right? Like he was out to pasture, he had all his needs met, and that healed up. You know, I take that tractor, I put it in the shop, I give it all the tools, you know, all the parts it needs, it's not going to heal itself. No. You know? like, <laughs> and it's going to cost you a lot of money for it to not it's heal itself. Cost you, a lot of money, <laughs> you know, and, and the other thing that is different about you know, working the oxen as opposed to the tractor, the more I use my oxen, the better they get, right? Right. Um, if I'm using them every day, they get bigger, they get stronger, they start learning, you know, like they know what to do, they know where to step in the garden, they can learn how to move around plants, they can do these things that, you know, even our most, 
advanced AI technology can't teach a machine how to learn to do these things. Um, You know, the more you use a tractor, if you're using a tractor every day, it starts to degrade and you have more technological problems and you have all these things. And so it, you know, by changing those, those things up. So like that, you know, I'm, I'm relying less on the technology and more on the biology, you know, I can really harness into that, that regenerative power, you know, the fact that, you know, a tractor will never reproduce, you know, (laughs) Yeah. I, I, not that my oxen reproduce because they're they're castrated males, right? But, but <laughs> the, the, the larger bovine herd yeah. will actually produce more. You know, yeah. like I can grow my own tractor with just sunlight, a little water, and some time. Yeah. Well, and probably I'm sure if you pair uh, an older experienced one with a younger one, that they're able to intuitively pick up on each other. Like you know, animals have such amazing learning patterns and given the right context right like so just so many so many things a tractor can't do screw tractors yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. i mean the, the 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 mentorship and learning like once we had like my first team training my first team was the hardest yeah right because i didn't have any other oxen on the on the farm but every subsequent team has gotten easier my experience has gotten I've gotten better at training, but also they're, you know, even as calves, they're looking at the, you know, from the barn being like, Hey, what's he doing? You know, what's that about? (laughs) And they pick it up faster, you know, because they're, they're intelligent creatures and they, they really do learn from their, you know, the older animals of the herd. Yeah. I I feel like we don't give cows enough credit for how smart they are in in good ways and bad ways. (laughs) So. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's, there's the, the kind of the old, you know, um, fallacy of like the dumb as an ox. And yeah. I, 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 I find that completely. Um, uh, and, and, and I, I've actually thought quite a bit about that phrase dumb as an ox. Yeah. And I think we often in, interpret it as, you know, mental capacities where, I think dumb might actually kind of go back to the, um, you know, the original meeting as far as like mute. Right. Um, right. And so um, it's one of the things that I've learned with the training of the oxen is when I train people to do it, I talk about it in terms of a learning a foreign language. Right. Yeah. So, when we're working with oxen, essentially what we're trying to do is communicate with the animals. You know, we're kind of trying to communicate our needs and desires so that they can help fulfill those needs and desires. Um, you know, the problem gets into be is that there's kind of a, um, things get lost in translation. So, um, cattle in general speak a, non-verbal language for the most part, right? Um, you know, cattle usually only vocalize, you know, when something's wrong, right? I talk about it like the three H's, you know, cattle will, will moo, they'll make noise, which they can do um, when they're hungry, when they're horny, or when there's harm, you know, like those are the three things that will make a cow moo 
or those are the important things to talk about, right? (laughs) Yeah. But that doesn't mean that they're not constantly communicating with each other. Right. You know, and you'll see this in any, any cattle herd. I mean, there's, and the way that cattle communicate is kind of a visual spatial language. So, you know, they communicate through, you know, horn points, you know, mass, bulk, size, you know, they, they have a, a visual spatial language, you know, humans, we, we communicate mostly through small mouth noises. Um, And I find that cattle in general, whether it's, you know, oxen or beef cows or whatnot, they actually have to get used to the fact that humans are really noisy. Um, And so, and a lot of the like, you know, stock like uh you know low stress stockmanship will talk about that like when you go out there and you start yelling yeah, 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 it it induces stress response in the cattle yeah so um you know the way that i work with my oxen i try to focus in on the fact that if i'm doing verbal cueing that's mostly for me and the way i'm actually communicating with them is through my relation to them in space and so you know the the flipping the 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 dumb as an ox on its head and being like oh well it doesn't mean that they're stupid it just means that they're quiet right and that probably is probably more literally where it came from we we butcher old sayings all the time and we have no idea where they really came from that sounds like such a more realistic version of where that came from (laughs) Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's true. It's like, they're, they're very, you know, as far as, you know, barnyard animals, they're, they tend to be very stoic. They're quiet and content most of the time. And, you know, that's the, where, that's where cattle like to be that, you know, if I start hearing mooing, you know, I know probably there's a gate open. (laughs) Somebody (laughs) didn't turn on the water trough. You know, there's, there's probably something going on if I hear mooing, you know, right. like a contented herd of cattle are quiet, chewing their cud, grazing, but it also doesn't mean that they're not constantly communicating with themselves. It, just, it really does them, you know, no, you know, no service to say that they don't, you know, they're not actually interacting with each other. They do more interaction on a daily basis than most humans do, I think, probably. socially. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Well, let's take a dive into if somebody wanted to get into oxen, all the different starter points and definitely prefacing this with saying that I think you probably got some of the just best stock in the entire world to start out with, right? With sourcing from Alexandria Family Farm who have taken such pride in their genetics and demeanor. So you probably got just the best start. What's your advice to people about that starting process of choosing and handling what breeds, all that good stuff? <laughs> Totally. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first thing that I like to tell people is that, you know, um, because a lot of people get confused is um, an ox is more of oxen, oxen is more of a job title than a class of animal. You know, just as I'm a farmer, they're oxen. So it's not it's more of an occupation than a breed. Um, It does get confusing because there's this whole other species, the musk ox you know, which is, you know, a, a, an ungulate that lives in the Arctic tundra. It's a completely different animal. Right. So like the public will come here and be like, oh, 
I thought an ox was a whole other animal. So oxen are, you know, in the West, usually castrated male bovine that are trained to work. Um, And they don't necessarily need to be that. Um, There are working cattle, you know, traditions in a lot of other parts of the world that use, um, you know, female cows, um, as well as intact bulls. Um, You know, a lot of India, parts of Cuba, they'll use, you know, other classes of animals. So, but in general, um, it, I find that it's easiest to work with castrated males, basically steers. Is that to avoid Um, heat cycles and different hormonal things? Is that what the basis of that is? Yeah, definitely. You know, there's, there's the hormonal heat cycle thing. There's, you know, um, there's also lactation, you know, breeding cycles that are, you know, that you have to work around. It can definitely be worked around, um, you know, with, uh, with a working animal. Um, but, um, you know, we're lucky enough. We can afford to use, you know, mostly the steers for, for the work, the working. So, you know, for somebody who's just getting into it, just it's, it's important to know that any breed of, of, of cattle can become an ox. Um, and a lot of it is just going to be based on what you have access to It's probably whatever you have the easiest access to is probably the best breed to start with. Um, most people usually start with dairy breeds. Um, and the reason that is, is it not has to do with the, the, the ability of dairy breeds over beef breeds. There's some physiological things, um, you know, beef breeds tend to get heavier. That's what they're bred for. Um, you know, so, um, that might be a consideration, uh, you know, later on an ox will con- you know, like, could get overly fat as a, a beef breed. So a dairy breed, you know, is, is probably a good place to start with. Plus, you know, I really recommend starting with the bottle calf, you know, um, it's a good way to get an easy entry into working with the animals. Um, you know, the animal itself will probably be your best teacher and the bonding that happens with, you know, the, the working and and bottle feeding and, you know, nurturing through those early years, um, will facilitate the relationship that you'll have as they get to be a larger ox. Um, so, you know, most dairy breeds, Jerseys, Holsteins, Ashires, milking shorthorns, if they're available, you know, um, tend to be decent oxen. You know, you can get into specialty breeds, milking Devons, you know, um, uh, uh, Kianinas, you know, some of these are, I don't think that's really where most people should start. Um, you know, um, I think just starting with, you know, most people who are going to be interested in this will at least probably have access to some sort of dairy calf. Um, and, and, you know, there's nothing wrong with a Jersey. There's nothing. My first team were, you know, from the Alexanders were, this was before they started breeding their Fleck V genetics and whatnot. It's a, he's, you know, my first team were Jersey Holstein crosses, you know, that's actually a really decent breed to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, jerseys tend to be a little smaller, you know, Holstein tend to be really large. 
you know, the cross is kind of a nice mix, you know, even, but you know, my, my older 13 year old, you know, Jersey Holstein, he's a big guy. Um, you know, so those are the kind of things to, to think about. I think it's probably better if somebody's interested in doing it is just starting and not worrying about like having the perfect breed, you know, um, I love, you know, American milking Devons and, you know, on the East coast, they're really prized for oxen. And there's a lot of, you know, um, heritage and whatnot, you know, and pride amongst that, that group of breeders. Um, they're also temperament wise, maybe not the best animal for a beginner. You know, they, they, they're very intelligent. Um, and if you don't know how to work with that animal, you, that might not work out well. Um, so, and, and you can also, you know, start with older animals, you know, and train. And I've done both. Um, I, I bought, you know, year old, slightly handled, you know, um, steers and was able to train them. Um, but I've had the best success starting with the young, the young bottle calves, taking the time um, it gives you a four year time span, you know, before they'll re really be big enough to do a lot of work and you get to figure out what you're doing in that four years, um, you know, and, you know, when they're, when they're two year, two to three years old, they're still big enough that they can start doing small tasks around the farmstead. Um, you know, horses are different. Like you, you wouldn't ever start working a young horse until they're fully developed. You know, there's a psychological aspect, there's a physiological aspect, um, you know, but working steers are, uh, can be really handy around a farm farmstead, you know, and if you find, you know, fun, small tasks for them to pull, you know, like some of my first tasks with my early teams were as simple as like, hauling rocks from the field, you know, um, my first logging, you know, with my, my, my team of one year old oxen was they hauled our Christmas tree, you know, Aww. like and <laughs> it was just this really fun thing. Like they were big enough that they could like, you know, we cut down a little, you know, a little Christmas tree and we, we hauled it into the house and it was just this really special thing. They can completely do that type of work. And, and, that's the other thing that I really encourage people is to not get, you know, um, hung up on having to do like jumping straight into like all of the large, farm. you know, the more you use them, the more they're, they're, they start incorporating into the, into the farm life, the better they'll be. So, you know, even if it's like, okay, I'm going to put a, you know, a, a bucket of, you know, I normally haul this bucket of, of whey or skim milk from, you know, the barn to the pigs. Yeah. I put it on a small sled. It's a five gallon bucket. I could carry it. Right. <laughs> I could, but, <laughs> you know, but, you know, you take your little team out and you put, you know, and then you give them a little fun task to pull and, and they, they, they save you a little bit of physical effort. You know, it take, might take a little bit of extra time, you know, with the, the pitching and the yoking and all of that. Um, but they also really start as um, the best training for, for the, for the young animals is real work. They kind of know, like if you, 
I do a little bit of both when, uh, when you're training to pull with oxen, um, you know, there's like basic conditioning, you know, where you put a bunch of weight on a sled and you just pull it around, um, hitching them to a, like a, we have a big tractor tire. You can just hitch them to the tractor tire and grade your drive gravel driveway, <laughs> you know, um, it's, that's good, but they get kind of bored with that, you know? So as a young developing animal, when they're able to like feel useful, like they, they have an emotive sense to them. So like, when they're like, Oh, I did something fun and I felt like I was participating. They really sense that. And so, you know, finding those little, finding those small tasks for a young, you know, yearling to two to three-year-old team is great and and then if the more you do those tasks the more when it comes time to be like okay this is a four-year-old team you know they're 1500 you know 1800 pounds a piece we could start like mm, pulling some weight you know they're going to be more developed and ready to go yeah. I'm sure they probably enjoy it too. Like if you're enjoying what you're doing, that you're going and getting a Christmas tree or doing something, I, I'm sure the animal can definitely feed off of like that thing. So it's, you know, like training dogs when you're enjoying it, they're enjoying it when you're miserable, they're miserable. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, they, they, they will mirror your emotive state back to you. So if you go out there and you're having a bad day and you're pissed off and you know, whatnot, your, your, your tractor's not going to react to you. You know, the they're not going to be like, Oh, you know, the tractor's like, Oh, you know, boss isn't doing too good today. Maybe I should. <laughs> but you know, they really will, you know, and they, like you said, they will, they'll, they'll feel, they'll feel useful. They'll feel like, Oh, this is, this is fun. You know, if you get excited and be like, wow, that was, I didn't think I could do that. Like, oh, you know, they may not show it in the ways that we show it, no. you know, um, they might show it in just being calm, you know, um, one of the things that I find like there's, you know, if I'm doing a task, like say in the garden, you know, and I'm working them and I know it's, it's an easy task, they'll start chewing a cud, you know, and that's, um, that's a sign to me that they're that they're enjoying the task that or, or that the task that they're doing is not overly stressing them, you know, because it takes a certain level of, of, of calm rest and digest for them to chew a cut. Nice. You know, it's also their full-time job, you know, um, cattle have to chew a cud for like eight to 10 hours a day. Um, you know, which is one of the reasons why we don't bit cattle. Um, Cause they have to chew it. You can put a bit, I've seen it done where you, you know, put a bit in the mouth of a, of, of an ox. Um, but it impedes their ability to regurgitate and chew, chew cud. Right. Um, so, you know, that's might be the way that they show that they're actually enjoying something is, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll ease into a quieter state. Um, and uh, they may not be like, Yay! That was fun. <laughs> they don't say that much, do they? <laughs> no, no. Awesome. So, I guess high level. Are there any farms that you would say these are definitely the farms that could should consider oxen, and these are the things that should definitely not consider oxen? Any kind of like polarizing things that you found that they're really good or really bad at? <laughs> 
I mean, I think farms that are really small may not be like we're talking, you know, the, the you know, the, the, the farms that are, are in that, that, that no till movement where you're doing, you know, a quarter acre, a half acre, you know, unless you have, you know, the adequate space to, you know, to graze and house and, you know, work with a team, um, that may not be an appropriate, you know, size. Um, I think, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, like farms that are really large, you know, unless you have, you know, the workforce to, you know, train and maintain multiple teamsters, you're probably not going to be able to farm, a, a, you know, a hundred acres, you know, um, and that's, there's kind of a, kind of a traditional middle ground for most draft powered farms in the U S and it works into a right around the like 20 to 40 acre range, total farm size, you know? Um, and, you know, like I said, we're 45 open acres. The entirety of our property is about 85, but it includes riparian area, forest, you know, and then the open pasture grounds, probably about 40. And then our garden's about five. And then there's, you know, accessory building site and all this stuff. Um, and that's kind of the right size range um, for a farm. Um, it's a really, it can be a really productive in efficient farmstead um but it, it it's that area that you get into it's a little bit too big and intimidating for the for somebody who's like looking at the small scale you know technologies but it's not quite warranted getting into the larger you know the larger production farm right. um and so that's kind of the, 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 the areas I feel like are really prime for the use of draft power and oxen. Um, as far as like qualities um, of, of the people, the farmers themselves, um, you know, I like to tell people you have to like cattle. <laughs> Good start. If you don't like cows, <laughs> you probably won't like working with oxen and you also have to like walking, um, you know, um, one of the main differences between, you know, horses and oxen is that, you know, you can ride oxen, but you don't usually, you know. Um, and so I spend a lot of the time on the ground walking, um, you know, like we've had people who've come here, you know, really interested in it. But I had knee surgery, you know, like, you know, <laughs> earlier this year. Well, that might not be the best you know, situation for you, um, you know, cause it's, it's going to be a lot of walking. I feel like most people could walk a little more than they walk, yes. you know? <laughs> um, and so walking is really good and healthy. Um, but, so but people who are physically impaired, basically. Yeah. So like if you have some kind of yeah. thing, you're like, you know, like, uh, you know, if you, if, if you've got a, a thing where like, Oh, um, this is going to be, and it doesn't mean that it, it, it doesn't 100% mean that you, you shouldn't do. I mean, there've been plenty of people who have had teams that are totally useful, that are older, that have, you know, physical, you know, limitations to their, to their health. Yeah. It will totally work. Um, but I think, you know, that you want to, you want to at least enjoy those two act activities. You got to like working with cows 
and you got to like walking around. Mm -hmm. Um, I happen to really love both of them. And so it works really good for me. Um, I think, um, you know, when you look at the kind of the, the dollars and cents of it, I mean, I think oxen can be, you know, as competitive with looking at the efficiencies of mechanization, you know, dollars and cents, you know, monetary, you know, investment in upkeep costs, output in the end, you could break it down. And if you looked at it from a purely, you know, economics perspective, I think it, I think it still makes a lot of sense, but if you don't love doing it, it's probably not going to work. Um, because the thing about the, you know, a tractor you can put in the shed, turn it off, forget about it for the winter time, you know, pull it back out in the spring. You'll have to do some maintenance. It'll be fine. You know, um, the animals need daily care. They need, you know, constant management. You know, if you're not using it, you still have to feed it. <laughs> it it like doesn't not, overwinter well without attention. <laughs> yeah. If you're not using your tractor, you don't have to buy diesel. Man. All good. You know? Um, so, you know, you got to really like doing that. And that's, and that's where the, you know, the, the kind of the daily stuff has to be, a, it has to be, it has to become part of that lifestyle. Okay. There are huge benefits to incorporating you know, living animals into our lives. I mean, from a, uh, emotional, spiritual, you know, deeper psychological level, they, they can feed us on so many different levels. Um, but you have to be open to that. You know, um, if you're looking at it from a, you know, nuts and bolts perspective, it may not be the best situation for somebody. Um, so I think they're really a great fit for, uh, quite a number of, of, you know, small to mid scale farmers. I love it. I think we have covered so many awesome aspects of it. Is there anything you feel that we missed or anything you would recommend to people who are just excited to get into this area and like you, no idea where to start? Where do they begin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think uh, what, what um, my wife just reminded me from behind that um, one of the things we haven't talked about is the fertility aspect of it as well. Um, so, you know, that's another thing that really quick that um, we found is really important part of our system is the fact that, you know, they're cows and they produce fertility, you know, and the, the compost, like, I say we run basically three different enterprises on the farm. We have our vegetable enterprise, we have our pasture-based animal enterprise, and then we have our composting enterprise. And, um, you know, the, the three of those, those kind of businesses work in tandem. Um, and um, by, by bringing the oxen into the barn seasonally, we produce all of our on-farm fertility. So, um, you know, our inputs are, you know, our hay and you know, minerals and whatnot, but then the output is not, you know, toxic pollutants. It's, you know, manure and urine and, you know, we're able to compost that and then create and use that fertility in the garden. So, um, that's kind of another 
another unthought about aspect, you know, thinking about getting started in Oxen is that they can play a very important role in the like fertility program of a small farm as well. Um, and of course, so. with regenerative compost has become, you know, essential to soil health, but also a good secondary business. I know that a lot of people move into compost that's very lucrative. Would you say that that has been a fairly uh, either for soil health wise or for financial, obviously? Yeah, I mean, context. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I mean, it certainly has been for us. I mean, we're not we're not currently selling any of our compost. Now, we yeah. certainly could get to a point where we are doing that. But um it shifted when we were before we we had the oxen and we were doing it we were buying in you know um fertility and you know we were spending as much as we could afford and it wasn't even quite enough right now you know we we do invest in hay but i'm able to produce more fertility than what i was able to buy yeah. essentially and and it's it's a huge aspect of of the financial viability of our of our garden because if we had to buy in that much compost i don't think we would be able to buy as much fertility as what we were doing yeah. and for us there was kind of an ethical um thing is we didn't want to support you know compost that was coming from factory farm systems so you know certified organic chicken compost it's a great product but it's also coming from a factory chicken house and we wanted to get away from that system and create on-farm fertility with local you know carbon feed stocks that would you know allow us to feed the garden um and the oxen really allowed us to do that um, and the management of keeping them in the barn for part of the winter allows us the constant um, interaction and training aspect of it as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's, a, it's a, as far as a larger picture, you know, financial thing, that's a huge part of, 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 of what we're doing. I love that. I feel like we could talk about like the barn and the systems you use in that and the training for like a half hour, but I won't take us down that road too long. Sure. A anything else? I, I feel like it's obviously just such a, a great thing to integrate if you're the right type of person. So any last thoughts and words for people? Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I would really encourage anybody to try, you know, and like I said, you know, it's low, there's a, a, a it's a low risk investment, you know, um, you know, if you go into it knowing like, okay, I'm going to get some calves, I'm going to try bottle feeding them you know, and, and if it doesn't work out, like there is, you know, like I said, you have well-behaved beef and that's, it's a very, um, it, it makes a lot of sense and, and you might try it and find that you don't like it. Um, but you know, the, the, the barrier to entry is very low and, and I think it's, it, it suits somebody. I mean, I'm almost 100% self-taught. Um, I do, I have traveled out of my area to get mentorship from, you know, from, um, other, other farmers. Um, just a shout out to the draft animal power network. There you um, go. <laughs> they actually have a, uh, a gathering with oxen, horses, everything. Um, so there's resources out there. There's all things oxen, Facebook page. There's, you know, a lot of, great resources to learning. Um, and it's just a matter of just getting started. I love that. And 
I was about to, I'm sure, small community. I bet everybody there wants to help you get started. Probably a really great place to learn. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough. I feel like this has been awesome and I want to go out and buy cows now. So. <laughs> cool. Thank you, Kevin. We appreciate you so much.